Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. We're back with another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, from the Santa Monica Studios, as always, ready to bring you up to speed on the current happenings in tennis and the people that love to cover and follow the sport. Our first guest today is going to be Zachary Cohen, Zico, as he's known in these parts. He's a Tennis.com writer, a gambling expert. He's on the Tennis Bets live show as a frequent contributor, and he also reports and edits for VEASAN out of Las Vegas, a gambling expert if ever there was one. Zico's going to get us up to speed on everything going on at the City Open in Washington, D.C., Dominic Team's form on the clay, what we like and dislike about all the forms of the top players going into the run at the U.S. Open, Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz, some players that are struggling, a lot to break down with Zico. And then we're joined by Patrick O'Neill, the longtime sportscaster, Emmy Award winner in the Los Angeles area. He's been on television for over two decades. Patrick O'Neill works for the Anaheim Angels and the Los Angeles Kings as a studio man, as a play-by-play commentator. He's covered a lot of different sports, and he talks about his upbringing, the son of two actors in the Hollywood realm, a lot of stars in his field. He tried acting. It didn't work out for him. He pivoted, and he made a name on his own in the sports world. We discuss his tennis memories, too, from the McEnroe Borg days, being a fan, following the sport and uh, keeping it going with Roger Federer fandom as well. A lot to discuss with Patrick O'Neill, an honor to talk to him. First up is Zachary Cohn here on Tennis Channel Inside In, and the show starts right now. All right, now joining us on Tennis Channel Inside In, first time on the show, but not the first time we've talked tennis or betting or life lessons in general. Uh, from VEASAN, from Tennis Bets and Tennis.com, it's Zachary Cohen. He's our gambling expert around here, as tuned as anyone to the sport. Aziko, what's up, man? Welcome on the podcast for the first time. Thank you. I'm excited to be on. It's been a while. It has. And, uh, you know, we're in the nitty gritty of just a lot of action. We're going to have the thousand uh, events, the Masters next week. But so much tennis being played, uh, most of it on the hard court, starting right now with the City Open, a combined 500 event. I don't think most people that are just kind of tuning in or starting to tune into tennis in the U.S. Open lead-up, realize how big of a deal this is. The concept of a combined 500, Zico, but also like we were talking about yesterday on Tennis Bets, the women's event. I mean, the competition is insane with 39 being the direct cutoff. So you're getting you're getting major-level matches really early in a 500 event. It's pretty rare. Yeah, the women's side of it's pretty awesome. I mean, I've, I've been betting on Layla Fernandez, but she's a player who's really good and had to go through qualifiers just to get into this field. So, yeah, there's a really a lot of talent. Um, we've already seen some really good matchups, and we're going to see some even better ones. I think tomorrow you get Benchich against Coco. You get some yeah. another a couple of really good ones soon. There's so much to break down on the women's side, and we will in a few, but I'll start with the men, and the first guy I want to get to is the hometown hero, the hometown legend in the making. Francis Tiafo uh, has a you know steady run, steady opening act, Karatsev, who gave him a tough match. Tiafo won, but a couple notes that I had during that match and just thinking about it was, you know, Tiafo's consistency is on full display. He's really cleaned up a lot of the inefficiencies in his game. 
He's built for these moments, Zico, in the sense that he's built for this time in the calendar, the summer hardcourt season, being at home, being able to play, you know, on home soil. But he's also kind of built for the show, having Kevin Durant there, having the crowd for him, similar to the U.S. Open. He is a player, not a lot of players are like this, but he raises his level as the environment heightens. Yeah, and I did like seeing Durant there. I'm actually wearing a sun shirt as we speak. I don't think people right. will be able to see that eventually. But yeah, Tiafo is awesome. You know, in a big stage like that, that's when you get the best out of him. I actually thought that Karatsev played an unbelievable match. I thought that could have gone either way. But Tiafo raised his game in big moments. And I think that you look at his draw, he really has a great shot to win this hometown tournament, which I think would be, I don't know if I'm mistaken, his big, the biggest win of his career. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just think he's a guy that could easily do some damage at the U.S. Open. He did it last year, and he could definitely do it again. Yeah, I don't think he has a title near this level. He's made deep runs for sure. Uh, Karatsev, and I know you saw the list, just an aside on him. He's now one away from getting a direct entry into Canada. We had one more pullout, oh. so he's very next up. But we want to see him back in the mix because his, his A game is pretty good. And, and I agree with all you just said. I, I think that Tiafo and Fritz would be the two. And we'll see what happens with Fritz Murray today. Fritz is riding a, you know, the title last week, five matches in a row. If Fritz gets through Murray, I think I'd still make him the favorite, but Tiafo's right there. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about Fritz. I actually think that Murray, I I have a bet on Murray plus one and a half sets in that mm -hmm. match, just because I think that Fritz, I don't know what it is. I think he lets his level dip sometimes. And I think he especially does it on home soil. I don't know what it is. If he gets a little bit nervous or not, he gave away some really mm -hmm. good break point opportunities against Zachary Spazio last match who did not convert them. But I do think that Murray would be able to do so. And I think in a match like that, yeah. you're looking at two guys with different mentalities, mental strength levels. I do think that Murray's might be a little too tough for him there, but if, yeah, if he makes it out of there, I think you're probably looking at Fritz versus Tiafo, which would be a pretty big box office final. If Fritz is serving like he did in Atlanta, I like him to win. I don't want to say comfortably, but uh, you know that's what's given Murray trouble. The big servers, the quick points. Don't let a guy like him as one of the all-time great battlers battle out there. But you know, if it's a dog fight, if Murray gets an opening, he's gonna you know, he's gonna turn it into a rock fight and do very well. So we'll see. I mean, another thing too, being Fritz gets up for big matches, you would think in the last couple of years. So that would be that would be pretty big. But yeah, props to you know Andy Murray and what he's been able to do. They. And we had the five-year anniversary of the clip that everyone's seen of him crying on the sideline of, you know, he won at three in the morning, but his body was breaking down. And I know the only thing now he's fighting is, it's a cliche, but it's old age. His body and everything yeah. looks fine. Like, he doesn't have any physical limitations other than, obviously, the wear and tear of getting older. Was was that like a win over Copel yeah. five years ago? I remember I was working for Tennis.com, that event, yeah. and it did not stop raining mm -hmm. it was one of the worst weeks of work of my entire life but, i mean so i've kind yeah. of had a bad, that was <laughs> a bad relationship with us in the open and that was a year after you know he's number one at the time going into 2017 and it just was he couldn't play like the hip was nagging after mm. an operation so it's nice to see him in the mix too and this is an opportunity for murray the ranking has steadily gone up he gets into that I mean, he's knocking on the door of that top 30 range getting seated could be a big deal i mean this is we talk about it a lot. It's not just about the U.S. Open. It's not even just about Cincinnati and Toronto. These in Montreal, these lead-ins give you a chance to improve your ranking, and build confidence going forward. Yeah, and I wonder what you think about this, but I feel like Murray is probably 
right around a top 20 player right now. I feel like that's the level mm-hmm. he actually is. So I think it'd be fitting if he gets to around that mark. And I do, like you said, this, this is a really exciting couple of weeks. I, I love Masters 1000. So <laughs> these yeah. coming upcoming tournaments are awesome. I would agree with you, except when we do this, we always are prisoner of the moment when I say yes. And then I'd probably say yes to like 27 guys, but I have a top 20. <laughs> so uh, one of them I did want to bring up because I have some notes on him for you is, uh, I mean, he's at 20 right now, playing a little better is Grigor Dimitrov. So he's number 20 in the live ranking. And the way he has dips in his natural career, he's got very little to defend until like Vienna. So this is a guy, Grigor Dimitrov, who could be top 10 in the world very soon, and it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, and I think that Dimitrov's kind of done it in like the fashion where you beat the players you're supposed to and exactly. you rarely ever play up and beat someone that's better than you. And it's almost yeah. frustrating because I do think that the talent's there. It always has been. But, you know, you saw yeah. him against Runa, at, I think, Wimbledon, where he just completely fell apart after winning that first set. He was up a break in the second and just never looked the same again. Yeah. I don't know if you can trust him still just yeah. because I think that he would just find a way to kind of let us down against a better player. But trust him to get to the top 10? I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. I was looking at the losses. Djokovic, Runa, Medvedev, Alcaraz, Sinner. Like, we would all say, yes, those are better players right now. But the list really thins off after that. And, you know, here he is again, another quarterfinal per- performance. He's at the City Open. And, yeah, he might be someone from the betting standpoint where you just trust to handle work early until he reaches that limit. Yeah, and I mean, just kind of looking at Tiafo's draw, if they do end up playing each other again, I mean, he really beat up on Tiafo. Yeah, and that was two days, too. It wasn't like a bad day. They came back out and it happened again. But that could be that could yeah. be fun. You'd like to think that Tiafo with the crowd and with the home soil thing not on the grass has some advantages there. Which other players have stood out? The players still in it. You know, Monfils is playing right now. JJ Wolf making a surprising ish run to get there. Chris Eubanks back. Which players have stood out to you on the men's side other than the ones we mentioned? I thought Monfils beating, uh, sorry, who beating Bublik last match was really, really yeah. impressive. He's another one where it's like you get him in front of a night crowd, he becomes like a top 10 player and he's like a top 75 off of it. It's just <laughs> such a big difference when he's able to put on a show. That's when he's at his absolute best. And I thought that Bublik had a little bit of trouble dealing with the crowd being against mm-hmm. him. And, you know, he's the one that wants to be the showman on the court. And he just was not that. So Monfils is impressive. I hope he could just stay healthy over the next couple of weeks because there's still good tennis left yeah. in there. Don't you feel like Monfils is showing some some real underappreciated, underrated smarts and how he's kind of adjusting his style a little bit? Because he is kind of he's getting older. He's had the injuries. He's taking his foot off the athletic apex. I think he's the best athlete that's ever graced a tennis court. But he is playing a little smarter. He's not you know he's not playing as reckless and as freewheeling as we would think would happen coming with the older, wiser age. Yeah, yeah, I want to agree fully, but I do feel like I saw him dive. There's, yeah, there's still some of it before this. Yeah. So, yeah, there's still some of it there. But yeah, he definitely does a good job of kind of holding it back a little bit. But it's still on display when you know he stretches for a ball, maybe not diving for it. He's maybe not jumping for his you know leaping overheads anymore. But it's still there. He's using it a little bit better. He's conserving his energy. I agree. So some of the players, as we kind of move along here, that have been struggling to stand out, uh, and unfortunately you were on the wrong side of one, but you got Felix, OJ Aliassime, and Sebastian Corda. They both crash out early, and this has, unfortunately for them, been a trend of not playing their best in the last couple weeks, couple months. I'm grouping these two together, but we can break it down earlier. I think, or individually, I think Felix, in his case, 
you know, the injuries played a part, but it's been kind of messy for him and inconsistent for, for the past couple months. What do you attribute, you know, the main cause of what's been going wrong for Felix? Yeah, I, I don't even really know. When I watch Felix, I see a guy that, like, I can't even remember what made him a top 10 player. There's not really – the serve is not as big of a weapon as it was. The forehand, when he was playing his best tennis, he really wasn't missing that shot. Mm-hmm. He was kind of just winning matches, doing like sticking to his strengths with the, the, the serve plus one, the serve to the spots. We're not seeing any of that, and I do see a guy that's lacking in confidence. And when he wasn't able to get out of that tiebreak the other day, that was a really bad sign to me, just – you know, playing an injured player, you really had a good opportunity to advance. And I don't know, I'm really nervous about his overall game. Yeah. I'm not feeling the same way about Corda. I think Corda is just kind of dealing with the comeback of an injury. I think that he'll be yeah. there when it matters most. I actually liked him when I saw his price for uh, the U.S. Open. <laughs> yeah. I could see him making a deep run. Yeah, Watanuki uh, wins two games today after beating Felix. So, you know, it wasn't <laughs> – that, that's, that's something to point out. Yeah, maybe the margins too, and I'd have to talk to more of a technical expert and, and someone that's been there. But, you know, maybe Felix plays that style where it has to be completely on. You know, he's going for really aggressive shots. So when it's on, he's otherworldly. But, you know, it hasn't been working for him. I'm also agreeing with you in the sense of Corda. I, it's weird because the Wimbledon thing and everyone talks about the comments – we don't mind confidence, but I, looking at it now in hindsight, it's 2020. Maybe he was just too confident for where his body was physically. Like I don't, I don't disagree in the sense that he's going to be a top player, but it was you know a quick return from an injury and wrists are, are serious in tennis that I think he just needs more reps, more reps this year and beyond. Yeah, and maybe he fooled himself with the quick grass court lead up to the tournament. We sp- we spoke on Tennis yeah. Bets Live about rescheduling the entire season. He needed maybe he needed some yeah. more time to figure out that he's not a Wimbledon contender. But <laughs> I was feeling when he was going into the tournament that he was looking like he was really sharp. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that, that, I guess that confidence issue could come back at any moment. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. More with Zico, Zachary Cohen here on Tennis Channel Inside. And uh, before we move on, you got to talk about the women's event of this. And, and we highlighted at the top how dynamic and, and deep the event is. First things first, then, and I'll give her full marks. Elena Svitolina has come back and looked like she is right where she was before she got pregnant and took time off. This is another run where she beats two of the same players that she's gone through recently in Azarenka and Kazakina. With her game, too, and everyone talks about, you know, what's what's your ceiling and what's this and what can you do, I would flip it on its head, Zico. Her floor is as solid as anyone. She's just going to give you a, a strong base level, match in, match out, and it really carries her along with the mental strength to close these matches out. 
which is amazing too, by the way, because I think before she took the time off, she was the type of player that could have gone out at any moment in the mm-hmm. tournament. But I think she's come back with a new mental toughness to her. And I think that she's improved her game. Like you said, she's beaten two really good players this week. And I don't even think the loss to Von Drusseva at Wimbledon is anything that people should take lightly. I think she ran in mm-hmm. to a really hot player and she was playing on in difficult circumstances. So yeah. I do see a potential major in her future. I think that she's got a really good chance of winning this tournament too. Potential majors. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to count anyone out. Let's just put it that way. But you know, a lot has to happen. I think Von Drusseva that match. There was an emotional letdown to be understood. You made the semifinal coming back, and the point, the part to pick out is the first, you know, three four games were a disaster for her. Then she settled in, but Van Drusseva was too solid at the time there. Yeah, I, I think this tournament she's right in the mix. I think she's someone that's not going to back down from the moment and you know, has been around the block. I mean, she's still under 30, but has been at the top of the game in the top 10 range for a lot of times. I think that for a lot of years, I think that does add some weight. You know, the other contenders in this tournament still in, and, and you know, the Americans, we'll say Pagula and Coco Goff, they're looking for this to be a launch pad for their summer success. Pagula's won it before, so she kind of knows what that feels like. It was her, you know, first tournament win, I believe, and it was the opportunity that sprung board, you know, her renaissance. And Coco, on the other side, has a new coach trying to address the forehand, has done well in the summer lead-up events of the U.S. Open. This is an important week for her as well. Yeah, I think with Coco, I know she has the new coach. I know she's working on it. I just don't think it's something that's going to be fixed overnight. And I think it's it's easy to keep kind of drilling her for it. But I do think that until we have proof that it's a lot better, you know, a smart player is going to take advantage of that side of the court and yeah. find ways to beat her so i think that she has a really you know low floor compared to spitalina mm-hmm. where she can go out at any point if someone's just attacking that side of the court i do think you know i can't really see her making the full run at this tournament because yeah. i think that someone like benches someone like well, maybe garcia will I would, take advantage of it. i would give her well you gotta say garcia you know got knocked out today so they got gotta knock her oh out my too. god yeah, did not yeah. yeah we're gonna get to that in a second <laughs> no i know there's a lot to keep up with but but as far as as far as Coco goes, I'll actually give her credit in this sense. I think the timing of making the move right after Wimbledon to work on it, obviously the offseason would be ideal. This isn't bad because we're doing it City Open. This isn't a tournament she has to win. There might be some more leeway. And she's still the player that got to the top five with these forehand issues. So if, if she's able to do that, that just shows you how exceptional she is and mental strength, athleticism. The bench match is tough, but... I actually think Pagula is one where, you know, it's almost it's almost a sense, right, where it's all been the major issue. Like, we expect her week in, week out to get to, you know, to do well in these tournaments to get to the major quarterfinals, but that's where she's hit her ceiling. So it's almost like we're just biding time to have this discussion until whatever happens at the U.S. Open because she's gotten, you know, 0-6 now, I think. She's a solid player, but it's that last hump she can't get over. Yeah, I almost think that with Pagula, the issue is kind of like what we spoke about with Dimitrov, where I don't know if she has like that other gear to beat really elite players. I think that she always takes care of business when you want her to, when you need her to, but I don't think that there's that other gear. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that changes at a major. Like like you said, this is the type of tournament where she could easily win and it'll get our hopes up for the U.S. Open. But yeah, just, there's something about her, you know, in the biggest matches I don't trust. Garcia losing today to Kostuk, straight sets going away. Uh, more struggles for her. And, you know, maybe, I mean, we'll see. We're going we're gonna to have to see. Last year was a unbelievable, you know, second half of the season. Hasn't had the success this year. So 
you know, there are ebbs and flows on a tennis career. Garcia seems to be on a downward one, unfortunately, but full marks to Marta Kostuk, Andrescu, and Garcia back-to-back. Pretty good wins there. Uh, I'm looking forward to that Benchich-Goff match, too, because Benchich has always been someone, when you talk about players that don't have majors, you're like, well, Benchich could be the next one to break through. She's definitely given, and every time her and Coco have played, it seems like they've been epic matches. This could be a summer for Benchich that, Maybe she's the player from outside the radar that, that just kind of crashes the party. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And she's just so solid. There really are no weaknesses to her game except for, you know, the occasional match where she doesn't seem to show up mentally. But she looked so good against Fiatek at Wimbledon. Yeah. She kind of showed that she can really perform at a high level at a really big stage. Of every, all eyes were on her. So that was a really impressive performance. And I do think she's a player that, yeah, she, could, she really should be able to win a major. I feel like there's so many players yeah. that are – around the top 15 that I do think are going to have a chance because we spoke about last year, a little bit about a big three forming in the women's game, but I kind of think that's faded a little bit with, you know, Sabalenka having some issues closing out matches later in tournaments. Fiatek now showing that she's beatable. I think that there's room Mm -hmm. for other players to jump in there and win a major. Belinda would definitely be one. And she had that big win uh, over Naomi Osaka in New York. I think she's someone that could get the job done. Big opportunities there. Want to also give a shout out to Jenny Brady back in the tennis, you know, tennis tour. Got a match win. Lost her doubles partner in this event, Madison Keys. But you know, no shame there. Keys would be the other one I throw in there. You never know. You never know how bad it can get. But when she's on and ripping forehands, uh, <laughs> that's a top five level. I mean, say what you want. That is a top five level. Yeah, and that's why it's almost surprising <laughs> that Garcia's struggling so much right now because it's almost the same thing where it's like two women with really big serves and really big forehands they should have both really dominated the grass and the hardcore seasons keys did it garcia didn't um yeah i'm expecting some big things from keys the rest of the rest of the way well we mentioned it's not all hardcore tennis there is a clay event in austria uh and if you want our thoughts on that go back to the, the schedule go back to the tennis bets show from yesterday uh no need to rehash that but what we do need to talk about is Dominic Team back into a tour semifinal for the first time this year. He beats Rinderneck in a uh, three-set match, loses the first, wins on home soil, back into the semis. And I know you got some thoughts on this, Zico, but Dominic Team finding some confidence, finding some form on the clay specifically. What do you got to uh, say in, to, in terms of evaluating Team's performance? Yeah, so he's back in the semis, and I think he's back in the top 100 now, which isn't you know a major milestone, but it's important. I just I just think with Team, when he came back from that injury, he was playing such tentative tennis. I thought he was just trying to win on defense alone. Now I'm starting to see him really rip the forehand, which is something we wanted to see him mm-hmm. do more when he was in his prime. So it's nicer to see him kind of taking some more chances on the court. I thought that he looked really, really strong after giving away that first set against Rinderdeck. I thought that was probably his best performance in quite some time. Although, you know, the five set loss to Sitsipas, we definitely mm. saw some flashes. Yeah. And first off, everybody loves this guy. One of the nicest, most well-liked popular players on tour to see him happy and, you know, smiling at home. It was a well-deserved moment, all the work he put in. It's a fascinating thing, right? What's more an issue, mental and physical? Only the player can really answer that. I agree it was tentative, but was it tentative because there was still pain or was he afraid that there would be in the future? The point being, I mean, I mentioned Jenny Brady's name. She took all this time off because she didn't want to come back until she was cleared, ready to go. You don't want to second guess too much, but maybe team did come back before he was fully physically and mentally ready. But 
you know, it's been a long journey. He's been back for about a year now or so. And, you know, over a year now, and we're looking at him finally getting into the top 100, showing you how difficult this is. So again, props to him, but Lazlo Jerry tomorrow is a tough one. That's a, that's a step up in competition and we'll see what kind of stamina he has, you know, hadn't won back-to-back matches in like a couple months. And now we're into a semifinal. It's going to be another tough task for the Austrian. Yeah, I actually think that this matchup will show us a lot more about team than what we've seen these past few matches because this is one against a player that is in great form right now. Jero made a final last week. Mm-hmm. He's been great this week. He's just such a good clay court player that puts a lot of pressure on you with his powerful ground strokes. I think it'll be interesting to see if team can kind of hit through him at all because this would be a really, you know, a really nice sign if he's able to win this match. He definitely has a chance to win the tournament. I mean, this is uh, this is probably the tournament right here. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Uh, and the last event I want to get your thoughts on, uh, Zico, before we wrap this up, is the Los Cabos event because for not being the biggest tournament, it has a pretty pretty healthy field. And uh, one of the names in there, Sitsipas, who just beat Isner the other, last night, you know, he's got a match against Jari coming up. And I, and I bring this one up in particular. He could drop out of the top. He will drop out of the top four if he doesn't win this match. And so seeding becomes an issue, right, especially when you get to that upper echelon. Is it going to be Casper Ruud? Is Holger going to make a move? Sitsipas. So this is a match for seeding. But with Sitsipas, we know it's about confidence. And uh, the game is there when it's working and the confidence is there. So we'll see what Sitsipas we get tonight. Yeah, I don't know if you saw, but Sitsipas said today that he'd rather be world number one than win a Grand Slam. So it's kind of funny because I could see him kind of having a career where he just grinds out 250s and 500s. You know what's crazy about that is I heard, like, it sounds ridiculous to us on the outside. And even pros will say, look, you should say you want one Grand, you want a Grand Slam. But I remember hearing Kim Kleister say, you know, there is something, like, she, she begrudgingly said a major was more important. But she said, when I got to number one, it was like, you're the best in your field. So... I kind of get the logic of and then the reasoning with if you want to be the best in your field. But the flip side of that is no one will really consider him the best unless he wins a major. No, and it, it is interesting because it's a play, like think about a player like Chilich or something. It's like we've never even considered him like a top yeah. 10 player, let alone mm-hmm. the number one. So, yeah, there is something yeah. to be a number one. But, yeah, but like you said, like with Sitsipas and Jari, you'd have to expect Steph is going to find a way to win that match. I also think that the conditions there really, really yeah. favor him. That's playing like a really slow uh, right, hardcore. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, the, the, the big servers are getting stuck in these long rallies. That definitely favors Sitsipas a bit because he's such a good spot server himself. We're going to get Tommy Paul, Alex Demonauer tonight rematch. They just love playing in Mexico, apparently, because that was the Acapulco final back in uh, early March. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that's going to yeah. be like 30 ball rallies that match. Just, they're not going to be able to get the ball by each other. I think that's one where you know, Tommy Paul's confidence is, is brimming as well. Um, when they played in Acapulco, that was, if you remember, the day after that Fritz Paul match, that was just a war of attrition. So I think this is a more fair fight. Could go to Demon R, but Paul was on absolute fumes in that one. Uh, also, before I forget, Shout out to uh, Alex Kovacevic for that win over Cam Norrie. Biggest win of his life, of his pro tennis career. And, uh, you know, steadily trying to move his way up the ranks. So the Illinois College Project prospect, you know, gets the biggest win. So shout out to him. 
Yeah, that was one that I didn't end up watching it. And what I saw from the watching scores, I thought that Nori had it won already. And then, uh, yeah, he ended up finding a way to blow it. But that was a huge win. Uh, really exciting. That's honestly, that tournament's been pretty fun. And it's on late at night, too. So yeah. it is pretty fun. <laughs> that is the, that's good. It's like Pac-12 after dark, which we probably won't have much longer. <laughs> but it's, you know, maybe that'll fill the void. But it's good to have. And I think it just tells you what you need is that everyone, you know, a lot of players want to go to Los Cabos. So the field's a little better than it might otherwise have been. Uh, Zico, before we wrap this up, anything, you know, anything else you want to touch on or even into next week, looking ahead to Canada? Not really. You know, one thing I'll throw out is that we just brought up Tommy Paul briefly. Paul is one of the players on a list of guys that I used to not trust at all to win matches that, you know, we were talking about mm -hmm. matches that you like are always supposed to win. Mm -hmm. I think that Paul and Andre Rublev are two that I've now seen flip a switch and they're now become really sturdy players that really seem to always win when they're supposed to. It's a good point. We can't, yeah, we can be won over. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't dig myself in too deep. No, you got to <laughs> learn that you're wrong and just go from there. Uh, I'm excited. It's always interesting to have a tournament, you know, men's in one city, women's in the other. I'm just so fascinated by Alcaraz as the prohibitive favorite without Djokovic there. So how he handles that, he'll probably handle it amazing and win without dropping a set. But it is a, you know, we're in, we're entering that new phase of tennis. It's going to happen when Djokovic officially retires, but Alcaraz versus the field. That's this, is the first tournament. I think we're going to get to really see that. Yeah. And Carlos has had a Casper Rudy in last couple of weeks where he's active <laughs> on social media, posting himself on boats and stuff. So you okay. never want that. I, I learned the hard way with yeah. Wimbledon that you can't trust the guy that's too active on social. And we know the weekends from Canada, so could be a little messy there as well. Uh, <laughs> Zico, Zachary Cohn, check him on Twitter at betting on X, a very clever handle. And uh, you can write for V. He was writing for VEASAN covering college football and other sports as well as tennis. And we also got tennis.com picks and tennis bets live every Wednesday. So, Zico, thanks for coming on the show. Always a blast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. We'll do it again soon. Our huge thanks to Zachary Cohn for appearing on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at bettingonx. It's a pretty clever handle. With his picks for tennis and other sports as well. Follow his advice if you want to make a little money. Thanks for coming on the show to Zico. Now we're joined by Patrick O'Neill, the longtime Los Angeles sportscaster. He's been on television for over two decades. He's won a couple of Emmys. He was gracious with his time talking about his path, how he took it a non-traditional route. Grew up in a Hollywood family, tried acting, pivoted to sports, and then made a name for himself in the field, standing head and shoulders above many of the rest. O'Neill was also a huge tennis fan. He talks about his early memories of the game, the Connors, McEnroe, Borg era, to Roger Federer and uh, still keeping up with the game as well. Lots of good advice, lots of good nuggets. Patrick O'Neill now joining Tennis Channel Inside, and here it is. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside and on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios. The summer hardcourt season is upon us, and we're going outside the tennis bubble just a little bit today with a special guest, we share the same office building, so it wasn't a complete stranger situation, but he's been with Bally Sports, formerly Fox Sports, for, I think, 23 years? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Fox Sports West, I joined Mitch in 2004. Okay. But prior to that, I started in Fox Sports Radio yeah. in 2000. Family, okay. Yeah, exactly. Started in a radio, overnight radio, and then in about 2002, 2003, 
kind of started the, the TV climb. Well, Patrick O'Neill's here. It's a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, Angel's voice for the studio shows and some play-by-play. L.A. King Studio, uh, a mainstay there. And uh, I guess it's just a lot to discuss. I know you're a tennis fan, too. We're going to dive into all that. But am, yeah. first thing is timing being everything. And before we get to the deeper issues and the deeper stuff, you kind of timed, especially the King stuff, pretty good. And even the Angels with some <laughs> generational talent. But Yeah, I did. Yeah. Didn't I? Yeah. I definitely lucked into this whole entire career. And yeah. the, the teams and the players I've had to cover has been a dream, no doubt. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing to think about because you're in an industry which, you know, I would say I'm on the outskirts of, but we're in the same industry where it's super competitive and it's super, you know, difficult to find your footing, make a name, and then have the successes that you've had. But what I liked about your story, first of all, was it wasn't the traditional path. There's nothing wrong with going to the best schools, going to the broadcast schools, and then getting your apprenticeship right out. But that wasn't your path at all. No, no, it definitely wasn't. I, I jumped into, I dropped out of college after two years. I went to Laverne and I wanted to be an actor, come from a family mm-hmm. of actors, mom, mm-hmm. dad, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, everybody. So I thought that was kind of the, the path for me. I sort of thought that that was um, maybe an, an easy way out. I, I thought it, I actually thought it was going to be uh, easy to get work and nothing was further from the truth. I was green. I, I didn't have any experience. Um, I started taking acting classes and whatnot. I definitely studied a lot. Didn't Couldn't land the, the jobs, though. I, I struggled quite a bit. I had to look up Laverne. I'm not from out here, so I had to oh. look up the school oh, and yeah. kind of the area. But no, I mean, you. so you were a, a SoCal native or did you guys move around a little bit? No, SoCal native, okay. born and raised, born at St. John's Hospital, just okay. about you know two miles or less from where yeah. we are right now. And um, my parents split up when I was really young, so bounced around with my mom, but and then live with my dad on the weekends and, and whatnot. Um, family from Michigan, so I'd mm. spend some winters and some little bit of some yeah. early summers there. But mainly the the L.A. SoCal area for sure. Okay, so you got that Midwest winter toughness. I did. That some people I did. don't. Yeah, I lived in New York for four years. Oh too. yeah, true. So. Yeah. So so when when this career path started, so you go to college. You come from the family of actors. Mm-hmm. We know your father Ryan O'Neill and oh, a legacy. Like he's on the Hollywood Walk of Fame now. Thank so you, yeah. you go from dropping out of college to moving to New York. And that was, you're going to chase the acting mm-hmm. bartending to get by type kinda, life. Yeah, yeah. Kind of Mitch. It's like, well, I had a, a good couple of years here in LA mm-hmm. uh, with some great chances mm-hmm. uh, as an actor. I mean, like some, some really cool series auditions, callbacks, getting to the, getting mm-hmm. really close to yeah. getting some, some good parts and just couldn't cross the finish line on yeah. those and had some, you know, when you're in your early 20s and I don't know, sometimes there's some family issues, struggles. And, yeah, yeah. and I just felt I had to get out on my own, kind of mm-hmm. away from my family and just mm-hmm. kind of discover, you know, what type of person am I? Can I actually survive and pay my own bills? That yeah. was, I felt that was important to me. I felt I was a little bit um, handicapped with, oh, well, if I didn't get this job, let me just ask dad for some right. money or, you know, get did, get a cheap rent here. Did you there. feel like that sometimes you were able to kind of get the auditions, but then it almost would hurt you once you got in the door, like your name and stuff might have gotten mm. you a chance? Well, it definitely got me a chance. Yeah. got me an agent and I'm sure yeah. it got me some auditions. There was also some, you know, I had a, a brother that had some pro- uh, problems with the law and I don't think they knew um, that there was another O'Neill, like a young, you know, okay, and yeah. so I would get mistaken a little bit for my older brother and that hurt me for sure a little bit. And, but then it, it ultimately in anything that you do, yeah. talent's going to win out. Mm-hmm. And if I was good enough right. to, to land those parts, they would have hired me. And they're like, this guy's got confidence. He's good enough for this part. He's exactly what we're looking for. Let's go for it. But 
they saw through yeah. a little of that. I did not have the confidence <laughs> to get those jobs. And uh, that's all. They would have hired yeah. me if I was good enough. How, how old were you when you made that decision? Like, okay, I, I don't want to be in the acting business anymore. And was it the same time frame or a little later when you're like, sports is the passion? Oh, I always had a passion for sports. And I loved, I, when I would watch games, I would always focus a lot on the broadcasters. Huh. I thought if I could make it as an actor, maybe I could be a broadcaster. I swear it sounds stupid, but I loved Sports Center and ESPN when it first broke, you know, in 83, 84, 85, all those. I, I mm-hmm. kind of worshiped those um, those guys that anchored Sports Center. Um, but no, I, I moved to New York for about four years, did a lot of bartending there, came back to LA, got back into acting. But it was when I didn't get this job on a show uh, called Band of Brothers. I got mm-hmm. to the final callback, didn't get it. And that's when I, I had this epiphany. I said, it's over. Because I, I kind of had some help getting the audition. I knew Tom Hanks who wanted me for this part, and I still couldn't get it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, that's it. That's got to be it. And I decided then and there that I wanted to uh, take a career change. And I was going to get in a, in a, be in a production. Yeah. I wanted to maybe be a producer, director in sports. And I was going to get a job as a PA, but then they gave me a chance to be a, a broadcaster. And that's, Is that radio for the first gig? Well, first, they, they I got a couple auditions on TV, okay. and I didn't get those, but somebody, a guy named George Greenberg, wonderful yeah. man, saw my tape and really liked me, gave me a couple more chances, didn't get those, but I he had mentioned Fox Sports Radio was just launching in 2000, fall of 2000, and said, um, all right, call the program director, Tom Lee, over there. I did, got an audition did well on the audition and got offered the overnight update. So that's yeah. I had that in my notes. So you were willing at that point. It's, it's a tough thing to do to be like, okay, time to go to the next career, make a career change mm-hmm. as an adult, but also willing to put the work in, which is a pretty valuable lesson to people of all ages. Like your foot in the door was the overnight shift. That's it. Yep. 30 bucks an hour, 12 to 5 AM <laughs> yeah. Monday to Friday. Um, <laughs> and it was three updates an hour at twenty forty, and top of the hour. It was, a minute, a break, a minute at 20, a minute, a break, a minute at 40, and then two minutes, break, minute yeah. at the top. And we, Yeah. We have some jokes here. I just sort of cut you off, but it's always right. like, because we worked in production with tennis and stuff, that that altered our sleep schedule almost permanently. Totally. 100%. Yeah. 100%. I still don't yeah. sleep well. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah. Luckily, I don't take the same sleep meds to get me to sleep as I did then when yeah. I'd get home at 6 AM. And then it went to six days a week. And I, I, I really struggled mm-hmm. the first couple of weeks. I was very green there. Nobody, you know, you had to figure it out on your own. No one's going to, you know, tell you how to do it, mm-hmm. but I learned how to do it. And I, and then I got confidence yeah. and I got better. And then I got, a, um, after a full year, um, actually nine 11 happened really kind of the next year and we turned into full news. And, and so, man, I, I really got my, my feet wet in broadcasting by learning how to do it. And I would do six days a week, you know, Monday through Saturday overnight mm-hmm. for almost two years. Were you constantly looking for other opportunities? Cause I know the, the timeline is I think 2002 was the first real TV That's right. job. That's right. Was that on, was that on the goal list? Were you like, I'm trying to work in TV or did that just fortuitously happen? I, it, it, it fortuitously happened, but luckily I'd had those auditions yeah. prior to getting the radio gig. The same people at Fox sports um, were the, the people that I got, was able to get back and get another audition in like February or April mm-hmm. of 2002. And then I double dipped a little bit. I would do these uh, TV update um, spots for the best damn sports show period on yeah. Fox Sports oh, Network yeah. or National. They were like maybe two an hour. And then I would do the overnight. Yeah. My shift got better. I got 11 a.m., excuse me, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. And I would bank some updates and I would do that six days a week. And I was okay. a co-host of a radio show. So I'm starting after about... 16 months was getting more reps and then I got the I wanted to get into TV <laughs> yeah, you know you don't forget I come from this family mm-hmm. and I tried to be an actor and so yes that was the ultimate goal but I really 
wanted to learn how to to be a broadcaster. Right. And I got to learn doing national radio. What was the schedule like when you were double dipping? Was it insane hours, sleep mm-hmm. all over the place? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it really was. Yeah, it was, you know, I really wanted to be prepared. So um, especially when I first started, my, my shift started at midnight, mm-hmm. but I would start preparing on these games at like 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. I would, I was, I, w- I would try to write as much as I could, come up with ideas. And then, so, I mean, I was working so much because I knew I had my foot in the door and I was switching careers and I said, this is what I want to do with my life. So I try, I did, I worked my yeah. butt off to, to accomplish that. When I was double dipping, luckily it didn't happen that long. It was like maybe a month or two. Um, yeah, you're burning the candle, but it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I was happy to get my foot in that door on TV. Yeah. You said something interesting that brought back a memory for me. And I haven't told this on the show. When I was in college, I went to St. Louis University. Oh. And even before tennis was a radar and I was just dipping in student radio, Billie Jean King came to the school and I got like five minutes to like talk to her. And then afterwards, she's like the nicest person. Right. And she's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, oh, I'm thinking sports, something. I'm not really sure. And she just said, we're not a right and you'll be okay. What, learn how to learn write. how to write. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. that was like the Good one advice. thing that stuck with me. And then you saying that it's like, yeah, if you know how to prepare and write stuff out, regardless of what Avenue you take, it's just yep. going to be beneficial. Yes. Yes. What, yeah. uh, what was the family's reaction to this career path? And as you were, you know, starting out low on the totem pole and, and kind of working your way up, what was, you know, the reaction to kind of going a little zagging a little in this Hollywood yeah, family? You know, it, well, it was, it was like 12 years of trying to be an actor, Mitch, right. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. not successful. <laughs> so I think I'm already in my early thirties at this point, two children yeah. and, or one on the one Sophia was, was pretty young, uh, two or three years old in there. And then, you know, Veronica was on the way, my younger daughter and, and uh, I, I remember my dad being, you know, pretty proud and, and yeah. listening. Um, so, but I just locked down, man. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't even, I can't even really remember. It was just my, I just had a singular focus to accomplish yeah. uh, what I was trying to do. Yeah, I've, I've seen too that, you know, families that are supportive, it's the biggest thing. But, you know, we also know sports aren't for everyone. And, you know, mm-hmm. some people aren't going to be locked in to a game. I mean, everyone's yeah. been to a Super Bowl party, so you can right. kind of tell who the, you know, real fans <laughs> are there. But, no, I think it's cool that she had that support system. The other thing I wanted to ask you before I forget, and I've heard this, you're, you were like ground four, one of the original OG fantasy football guys. Like you yeah. were kind of... Yeah, uh, and and to see where the industry's gone. I, I mean, especially it's just we had the very first uh, TV show for fantasy football, yeah. the Ultimate Fantasy Football Show on Fox Sports Net with Andrew Siciliano and <laughs> Warren Moon and Eric Kramer. Did that for maybe two or three years, yeah. I think. And yeah, that was the first one. Um, and yeah, it certainly has come a long way. Was that where you got your love of fantasy football, or were you oh, playing? Yeah. Okay, no, so, I, was, yeah. I was pretty new yeah. at it just yeah. just before. I think if you watch some of those shows, you could probably even think uh, re, <laughs> yeah. uh, realize that yeah. I was. Yeah, I was pretty bad early. I still can't win. You know? <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, more with Patrick O'Neill here on Tennis Channel Inside. And uh, before we get to some other topics, uh, I do want to bring up the King stuff. Okay. Because that's probably, for me, honestly, where I first you know, found you, and, and not just because I wasn't living in L.A., but it was the King's runs, and we mentioned the timing of everything. You grew up a SoCal native mm-hmm. and a SoCal sports fan. 
So it had to be a dream come true to work with oh Bob Miller, right? I mean, because that's oh, the guy I was oh, going to talk to. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, absolutely. You know, growing up, my dad and I, we'd watch uh, the Kings games with, with Bob Miller and, and then Jim Fox. And um, But, yeah, I love the Triple Crown line and Rogie Vashon in the 70s. They weren't on TV a, a bunch in those days. Um, but to me, I just loved hockey and I love the Kings yeah. so much. And when, when Wayne Gretzky joined the Kings, I was just uh, <laughs> out of control. I knew Wayne a little bit and through my sister <laughs> and my brother-in-law. And so I got to go to those games, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so it, all I, those stories. So like the buzz was real. Like we can talk about it now. I wasn't here. A lot of younger people don't understand, but when he got traded, the forum yeah. was like the place to be for it, Kings hockey. Games. It, it was as big <laughs> as Lakers showtime at that time. And that wow. was right when the Lakers yeah. were, you know, 87. Yeah. 88 and you know they were they were huge so when Wayne got to LA it was epic it was insane well the first clip I probably saw you in and this is like a, it's a total compliment I'll just work through it but uh -huh. having to think on your feet and be prepared was the 2012 Kings Cup party Jonathan Quick was a little too uh right. celebratory and I thought I remember him, you know, kind of letting some words fly there. But yeah, you did. had to kind of command the broadcast and take uh, control of it. I, it's kind of embarrassing, right, Mitch? Because <laughs> I was told I had to apologize. And I think I, my big regret is that I said my name. I, I should have just because they, they had to pop me on camera. Yeah. My uh, job was to apologize for the language. I think legally yeah. kind of <laughs> yeah. had to. And, and then I should have just thrown it back there cleverly. Instead, I, thought, I, I kind of panicked. I thought the tone was perfect, though. It was like, like we, have to, we have to I'm apologize. Patrick yeah. O'Neill. Why did I say my name, yeah. though? I'm like, oh, it's just cringeworthy. Well, what um, was it like to be a part? I know as a broadcaster, but still, like, you're on that ride for mm -hmm. a cup run. And in, for a franchise that's never had one, that's the other big point to yeah. make. Well, um, it's interesting. Like, 14, to me, I felt way more part of that team than in 12. We didn't travel for road games until 13, if oh, I'm wow. not mistaken. Uh, we traveled in uh, for road playoff games in, in during the 12 run. But prior to that, we I'm not sure if we did the studio pre-post for road. I can't, God, I'm just blanking right now. But um, it, it, well, it was awesome, mm -hmm. let's just say. Because yeah. I I, my first year with the t uh, Kings was 05, mm -hmm. right out of the lockout. And so I was there when, when Andre got, you know, drafted. Uh, and, and so I saw these guys yeah. and then Drew and, and seeing the team he put together with the trades and yeah. Jerry, and, and get to be friends with those guys yeah. in a way, you know, even though I'm a lot older, <laughs> they were really nice. Very nice. Yeah. Too. 14 was the one where it was like all those seven game series until mm -hmm. the final. And it yeah. was interesting. A couple of years ago when COVID first started, I rewatched that game seven uh, Blackhawks. And I'm like, yeah. I still, that, that holds up as one of the best games I've ever seen, like totally. watched on well, that television. Series was that series, that seventh game, yeah. overtime, everything. I was like, it's hard to beat the yeah. skill there. And you had the feeling that whoever wins is winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Well, well first <laughs> off, when they won in 12, you're like, I can't believe they've won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. That feeling is yeah. just euphoric being at this. Yeah. I was at the party that <laughs> night. It was so great. 13, they almost won it again. They got all the way to the Western Conference Finals. And like I said, that's when I started traveling. When you're traveling mm -hmm. on the team plane and you're going to the hotels and you're mm -hmm. in elevators with these guys, you really feel like, wow, I feel mm -hmm. like I'm part of something. Yeah. Um, and then 14, the whole season I was there. And when they went, we were down three to nothing to the Sharks and came back. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my God, this is insane. That, that whole run was incredible. Yeah, it really, it really is special, especially I would think for, you know, and I know national broadcasters are in the spotlight more, but when you're on the local level, you do get more of a connection. Mm -hmm. You know the guys, and they know you, and I think it kind of opens itself up to better, more intimate, more revealing interviews, too. Totally. I, I think so, absolutely. I, I felt like I was a real, really a part of something. I, I still do. I, I really enjoy, um, you know, everyone always says, oh, hockey players, are they the nicest? And yeah, everybody's nice in every sport. Mm -hmm. It's just different 
energies in different locker rooms, dressing rooms, what have you. But in general, those hockey players yeah. are, are really they're very, they're very caring. They understand what yeah. you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah, they just especially Mostly. especially <laughs> out here. You know, it's funny that they don't live downtown; they live by the beach. They just want to go hang yeah. out at the nice uh, dive bars and go to the beach. Like it's just a chill lifestyle. Totally chill. It's a great place to play. Yeah, it's a. And I wanted to segue into the tennis stuff, but I think mm. a good place would be, you know, it's such a game that everyone plays, and it's a great way to stay in shape and stay active. And hockey players are at the top of my list for athletes I see that play it and train it in the off season. Mm-hmm. There's some of the more active tennis players. I think that has to do with the yeah. cardio you get playing tennis. Good point. I heard Kevin Fiala plays uh, a yeah. lot of tennis. I'd like to see those guys play. Um, but, yeah, no, it is, it's a great sport. My wife and I still try to hit the yeah. ball around, get a, t- a ball machine at a court up at Santa Barbara. And, and uh, it's, it, ball machine's perfect because yeah. it hits it right where you need it. I think the last time during COVID when Roman Yossi won the Norris Trophy oh. – he had a video message from Federer, and he was like a little kid, this Swiss guy getting yeah. a Federer shout-out, like, congratulations. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but, yeah, no, I know you're a big tennis fan. We've talked a little bit about it. Were you, like, from the time you were a kid? Mm-hmm. I, I think I think if I read correctly, your dad was also a fan, so you guys were kind of well, he, oh, yeah, the game. Yeah, but, I mean, it was uh, – I was just a huge tennis mm-hmm. fan. And, and when I was growing up, I mean, and so I'm 55, so that era, the mm-hmm. 70s, with Connors, and then when McEnroe burst on the scene and, and Borg. And I just, I have vivid memories of watching Borg McEnroe in those epic uh, finals yeah. at, at Wimbledon. So um, that was my initiation to, to the love uh, of tennis. And it stayed pretty much through, like through the American, because it's funny, you go by, that's the era there, then the American glory days, yeah. so it'll be tough to top. Oh. The, ma- the fact that you had Sampras, Agassi, Courier just at the top, oh you know, God, in the yeah. 90s, when well, the game was exploding too. Yeah, but I, I got to know those guys. I <laughs> yeah. mean, because my sister married yeah. John McEnroe, and I yeah. met John when he was number one in the world in 84. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was like, I think we, I mean, I know for a fact we were together on New Year's going into 85, <laughs> oh, you know, and you he was such a star. And I was just so enamored. I could not believe I'm hanging out with, with you know, John McEnroe. He was a, just an they, enormous star. And they had a lot of, I mean, I bring back to the forum, but they had a lot, I feel like more like, Big time, big feel exos like Huge exhibitions, and LA yeah. had the main ones. It seemed like yeah. Well, Mac was in charge of that man yeah. and Genie Bus. They put yeah. on he put on shows. He would get John would play. I think one year he did a hundred. It's like a summer. It was like a hundred John McEnroe, yeah. hundred nights across America or something. He must have made some serious money. But I got to go. I went down to San Diego, saw him play yeah. V-Lander. I'm hanging out in the locker room talking to Mats. I mean, <laughs> I got to meet. You know, I played golf with. It was like a foursome. It was uh, me and Pete Sampras and and like John and Courier. You know, I don't know. I don't know if uh, Courier remembers. I see him walking around yeah. here. I'm like Jimbo. Yeah, uh, he remembers me a little bit. Yeah. I think. Yeah, he's he does all his golfing now that he moved out here at Bel Air. Or no, I think he's LACC now. Is so, he? Yeah. Oh, but no, tough. Jim's the best. Jim came on this show and it was. I, I told everyone it was like I could have done it on autopilot. He was so nice, thoughtful, yeah. and just gave tennis answers. Uh-huh in a night nice tight like 90 seconds yeah. and i'm like well that answers everything i have i went to th- i was at <laughs> yeah. three of the ties in 92 oh yeah. yeah so i was uh gosh where was the first i was in i know i was in mini fort myers um i got blanking on one of the other one but i went to all three but then they went to dallas they played sweden in the final i was not at that because that's right yeah. when john divorced my yeah. sister <laughs> and then he still had to somehow yeah. play doubles with yeah. with pete and they won that unbelievable it, match. I do wish, and I think we're in the same boat, that the Davis Cup meant a little more because mm-hmm. it was like, I mean, the, it, it was very comparable to the Ryder Cup back in the day. Mm-hmm. And now it just seemed to, the new format, I think they're going to try to go back to the old one. But with home ties, 
and you actually had tennis, that, that's a very buttoned up sport, yeah. to let loose a little bit, let it tear down. I thought it was a big deal. I wish we could get back to that. I couldn't even tell you what, <laughs> what the format is now because it has yeah. lost all, yeah. to me, just that whatever that mm-hmm. interest is. I mean, that would be, they'd be on the cover of Sports Illustrated for you know winning the, the yeah. Davis Cup. It was, it was a big deal. So, yeah, I, I hope it gets back to that. I do, for sure. Yeah, we caught, uh, I mean, I'm a, of the certain age where I rode the entire Federer bug from like teenage years all Love the way through. Edge. And I know that's, yeah, because we all have the where were we when certain things happened. And the one I was going to ask you is, were you awake for the Nadal five-setter in Australia five, five six years ago? Oh, gosh, I, I, I don't know if I was. <laughs> I don't know what I was. That's hockey season, but too. I, yeah, I, I, could, I can tell you, though, that my wife in, in 2011, we went to New York, and our we, mm-hmm. on our bucket list was to go to the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And we were at the quarters the semis and yeah yeah and the semis and we we got to the match long story but we got there late because we didn't have tickets and then Dieter Rule who is the organist for the <laughs> US Open yeah. and the Lakers and the yeah. Kings saw a Facebook post where I was like oh man I couldn't get tickets he got us press passes we got in we got to the tippity top of the stadium and it was an incredible view can't really see but it was in the third set, I believe, mm-hmm. and and then <laughs> yeah. he was up two sets to yeah. one, you know, and then and then he has match point is like fifteen forty against, and then we, and then uh, no, it's forty fifteen, and then Djokovic hits this return on match point, and then and then the slow that <laughs> loss was so painful for us. Yeah, yeah I mean, look, I, Djokovic is going to go down as the greatest because he's got all the accolades. There were, and, and he might have gotten there either way. There's a few matches where, like 2019 Wimbledon, that match in 2011, yeah. where you yeah. never know what could have happened. But that right had it, and he had the Wimbledon yeah. two final there. That one that went that without yeah. the tie break that just yeah. kept going. Gosh, I remember where I was for that for sure. There was a lot of, I mean, Federer's, you know, and I'm not saying this is someone that's bitter about where it is. Like sports and records are broken, and Federer's has a legacy that'll stand alone. It was just about how he played more than that for me, and I'm I'm saying this is somewhat acknowledging that yeah, he got passed by Rafa and Djokovic, but. Better had a gracefulness to him. Mm. And for me, and I don't know how it was with you, but I just was almost envious of the fact that he could be gracious in defeat. Exactly. <laughs> like yeah. I would be like I wouldn't be able to get out of bed if I, I lost some of these matches. I know, I know. I feel the same way. I know. It's like, yeah. oh my God, because I'm so devastated and he's yeah. gracious. You're right. Uh, I still think to me, it, you know, people say who's your, you know, number one, you know, Djokovic is probably mm-hmm. gonna ha- end up with all of them. He'll probably win. The open, I, I assume. I'm, I'm surprised Alcaraz beat him. I thought he was going to get the, mm. you know, the Grand Slam this year. But to me, Roger Federer is the best. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, uh, you know, also compare eras too, because you know it wasn't until the Sampras Agassi era that even like, Australia was the main thing, and You're then right. Slams were the focus. So it really go. is hard. I do every time we do these lists though, and it's like who's great. The one guy that I think is impossible to to predict and rate properly is Borg, mm-hmm. because his run was so short yet mm-hmm. so dominant. I know. <laughs> It was a pretty good ten year, de- a good decade, right? Though I mean, yeah. it was like early seventies to when he when he shut it down, yeah. and you know, at twenty six years old, and you got Djokovic playing at thirty six. So, yeah. so absolutely, that was surprising. I remember when John was still like really hurt that mm-hmm. he retired. Yeah. Um, but to me, like, it, who's got the most wins, most tournament yeah. wins? Jimmy Connors. Connors, yeah. You know, and it, so I mean, I think Connors has to be considered mm-hmm. Borg for sure. Sampras. Um, and then, of course, Djokovic, Federer, Con- Nadal. Connors is another one. Longevity doesn't get talked about mm-hmm. enough because he went. Everyone knows that run at 39, but he was playing deep and getting to semis and quarters of yeah. majors into his late 30s. I know. You know, so it was 
But when it comes crazy. to all-around all yeah. kind of grace yeah. and skill on the tennis court, John McEnroe has to be, be mm -hmm. up there because he won he won 77 tournaments, yeah. and he won 77 doubles tournaments. I mean, yeah, I would say the greatest doubles player of all time. Mm -hmm. I would also say that I think it was Andy Roddick who said it perfectly. He's got the perfect tennis game for getting older. Yeah. Like it ages the best of yeah. any game because yeah. it's not built on power or speed. It's just he has his timing. He has those hands at the net. Yep. So he'll be a good tennis player into his, you know, 70s yeah. and 80s. Well, he won all those played. with Fleming. But then yeah. he also won with Woodford, like the U.S. Open. And then he won Wimbledon uh, with Steak. And I was at that match. Yeah. I flew over there because he was. I knew yeah. he was going to get to the semis. He ended up losing in 92. He ended up losing to uh, Agassi. Got, yeah, just that got was... Boat race. Just got destroyed. Watched that highlight and mm. I saw it. It was the young, it was the young yep. bull coming up. Yeah, but he was in the yeah. in the doubles final and yeah. they went to Monday. He was yeah. playing with Steak against Renneberg and Grab and it got dark mm -hmm. and McEnroe was like, you guys want to play a tie break? Just let's do it. They're like, <laughs> they're like, no, it went to the next day, 1917. He broke it like at 18, uh, at like 17 all. They That's got a break and, and won it. That was incredible. Yeah, my dad still has the story. He's a huge Mac fan and uh, the Wendell French Open. He's oh, like, choke. he's just like, I left. He's like, I think he was in like law school or something. He's yeah. like, I just left. Like I thought he had it. I know. <laughs> it was like I, know. Two sets I remember where I was. Yeah. See, John didn't yeah. go to the Australia. Australian Open yeah. in those days, but that would have been a year for him to win the Grand Slam. Had he yeah. had he gone to Australia, he'd have won. It's on grass back then. Yeah, and then French, and he ended up just winning the Open. Too. Did you? Uh, I mean, did you keep up with some of the women's games, the iconic players, all the way through? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean, love the women's game. It was. It's funny because we've kind of even maybe more so than men's. We've had this like title holder. Eras are defined by one or two players pretty consistently. This mm -hmm. is like the first time. Or there's, and it might be Igus Fiontech, it might be certain players, but I do feel like now that, you know, the, the post-Serena world, we thought it might have been Naomi Osaka, but mm. it's kind of up for grabs for the first time in a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like at Wimbledon, like you never, you get these people that are able to get through mm. and there's some epic matches and very, very exciting. We even saw that on the men's game for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like with Martina <laughs> well, and Everett. The, the amount of times that they played, each other is right. just insane. And then, like, Martina has that doubles record of, like, every Grand Slam seven times. Oh, man. That's, really? Yeah. It's like, I, I have yet to yeah. see Martina here. That yeah, she be... doesn't come out here too much. But, yeah, she's, I mean, legendary. And it's funny because that era of tennis, Martina and probably I'd say Lendl on the men's yeah. side, they were the first, like, weight training workout era. And now it's like yeah. everybody does it. Oh, but no. it was a foreign concept back then. Totally. Yeah, I know. I don't remember John doing a lot of weightlifting. I could, I could promise you that. But, and he didn't want yeah. to practice. That's yeah. pretty much all he did. But when I walk these halls and suddenly yeah. you see Courier, yeah. you know, I've seen Anacone, um, and then you got Knowles, and like the other day it's like Monica Puig, you know, winning mm -hmm. the gold medal walking yeah. around. I want to chat with them, but they're in a hurry. But I'm yeah. like, oh, man, it's pretty cool to be here. Yeah, the uh, the current slate, I mean, we know Alcaraz is there, but any other players caught your eye or things you're just kind of, I know it's like a broad question, but. Mm -hmm. Man, I, I, I Alcaraz is He's so athletic, and I just love the final. I watched that final, and to the, the drop shot, mm -hmm. like he kept going to it athletically, and that I thought really turned that match around. Um, I, I just thought Djokovic was gonna gonna win that match for sure. So very very um, impressed. Um, the, the man that made the run that got all of the quarterfinals. I'm saying very tall. You, um, Christopher Eubanks. Eubanks yeah, yeah. yeah, he's been around here a few times. Yeah, because yeah. he's worked here. Yeah. yeah. So I was really impressed. I was so thrilled, and he was so gracious in his interviews. And so yeah. I'm a big fan of, of his now yeah. for sure. Eubanks was. I mean, we all were rooting for him, but at 27 to have this breakthrough mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like it wasn't just like he beat good players, but it's like his game got significantly better. Yeah, it's such a ripping shot. It's such a unique thing. Yeah. Alcaraz too. I mean, like at this point in the game as a true professional, I try to be, 
you just want to see players win the matches. You want to see them, you know, play their best. And that's what was so beautiful and special was Djokovic didn't give that to him. No. He played well. Yep. Alcaraz had the best set of his tournament in the fifth set of a major final. I know. Like it's, it was a great match. It's special stuff. Um, and I just wonder, and this is kind of how he can kind of button it up, but I wonder if he's going to be pushed. Like, and I know it's weird to say, but I wonder if he's going to have those guys like Federer had Nadal and Djokovic. Mm-hmm. And Djokovic doesn't get to 23 if he's not pushed by those two other goats. So yeah. looking yeah. for some people to step up. Yeah, and Murray was there pushing yeah. also. I I um I, I agree. I think yeah. so. I think we will. But man, have we just witnessed <laughs> the greatest era of all time in tennis with yeah. these three. Insane. Hall of Fame is, you know, it's, it's a little tough to find, you know, and I know there's some worthy candidates out there, but when three guys win all the all the majors. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to put so as it stands right now, Federer and Serena are in the same class. I don't know if Newport, Rhode Island oh. can handle that. <laughs> so I heard rumblings they might have try to have a waiver system where because Fed's last year he only played that waiver cup. Can you move him up a year? Maybe it's good I to have their own sh- class, but they if, should have their own class. But yeah, if but, they're both in together. That is kind of you know poetic too. You'll definitely get some ratings, I think, yeah. if they do. Yeah, we've had we've had a good run for sure um, in tennis, and, and you know some of the players that you know got pushed and, and pushed back it's been good but yeah i mean at this point we're just kind of you know looking forward to the u.s open i know you've have you been to all four now or just the? i just haven't the been to the french or australia okay. no but i did get a chance to to go to wimbledon in 92 and i was at the u.s open in 85 when i mcenroe this match doesn't get talked about enough but he he played he was down two sets to one to vlander okay he came back and won in five and he got smoked by lendl for sure, in the final in 85, but that's when Lendl mm-hmm. overtook him for number one. Yeah. Just sheer, just power, just got him. But Mac was tired. It was a tough match in the yeah. semis. That was a great match. It was. It's, it's a changing of the guard. It happens in sports and tennis yeah. especially. Uh, yeah. Wrapping up with Patrick O'Neill here on Tennis Channel Inside In, just want to hit a couple things. First being, you know, the Angels and, and working with them. And also, props to you for stepping in last year, especially to the broadcast play-by-play role. Oh, thanks. Sometimes you have to just be ready for opportunity and also to be called into action. That, that's a great point. That, that's exactly what it was. It was, it was not something that I, I was actively pursuing that job. I, I was approached to give it a try. Um, you know, when they had uh, some openings for some, some games in, you know, uh, 21. And so um, I did about, I did nine games in 21. And then they said, all right, you know, you're going to, we want you back for 22. Mm-hmm. I was going to be the secondary guy kind of to, with Matty V, Matt Baskersian, who's just unbelievably great. But they had a lot of, there's some technical issues. And next thing you know, I was mm-hmm. sprung in action and I did, over, I did like 115 yeah. play-by-play games. This year, much yeah. less, but I still get about 20 yeah. and, you know, hopefully for more. But either way, when I sit in that seat and I'm calling a you know yeah. major league baseball game, uh, yeah. it's, it's incredible. What a feeling. What a rush. And the combined no-hitter. I heard that one. I, I didn't. It was or, an actual. It wasn't even combined. Yeah, no-hitter, Reed yeah. Detmers yeah. threw a no-hitter. It was the only one in baseball last yeah. year. And Crazy. gosh, it was <laughs> what a thrill. It really yeah. is so much fun. Do you just still, even as a professional being here all the time, do you just gush over Otani? Yep, what he's doing. absolutely. <laughs> I gush over Otani. Well, to me, you know, there were so much people. I seem like fans really wanted them to trade him. He's not coming back. And, and my take was, let's try to win with him this year. Let's, you know, let's go all in. Mm-hmm. And you, a chip in a chair. You get in, yeah. who knows? You catch lightning in a bottle, you can win a series. And next thing you know, somebody, something on the other side happens and yeah. you can make a run. And so I, I hope that happens this year. Yeah, I, I, you're never going to get 
equal value Mm -mm. for a player like that and you're sending the wrong message to the fan base like i'm just we're just gonna throw in the towel like let's go for it i think so i think there's a number of fans i'm just talking about some fans on twitter i think a number of fans are really excited that are gonna make a push you know and as as we talk right now they're only you know four out of a wild card and five out of first in the division and Mm. get trout back so many injuries this year it's incredible (laughs) but he's gonna win the mvp again and that's amazing it's going to be what a nice best player contract. of all time. It's, it's, it's looking like it. Yeah. Uh, as we wrap this up, what do we have uh, career-wise, maybe outside career-wise you're looking forward to? You know, still a veteran and still at a very, very high level. So I know age doesn't really get in the way of broadcasting career, but what do we got looking Man, forward I, to? I, uh, Mitch, thanks for having me, by the way. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I think every day is an opportunity for, you know, for something good to happen. And so I really take the approach that let's make today a, a, a great day. Um, today I'm doing an Angels pre and post game show. Um, so I'm attacking today. Um, I don't know what the future holds. I hope I'm back with the Kings um, for this year. They're still trying to work out a contract with, with Bally Sports. So I'd, I'd love that to happen. And, and you know, I'd like to outlast um, Kopitar and Drew Doughty with the Kings. So uh, I'd like to get to 20 years on, yeah. on that and, and more. And, um, yeah, and then just continue to try to stay healthy and, and blessed. Yeah. I live a mile and a half away from this studio. Yeah. So loving life for sure. Staying positive. You know, obviously I know you're a big family man as well. So it's yeah. good to have that balance and have your, you know, your physical and your mental health good. But it's important. The yeah. attitude of appreciating where you are still putting the work in and dedicating it. But it is okay to stick your head up and be like, this is a pretty cool to get job I got. I have such a great yeah. job. Because I'm telling yeah. you, when you, if you look back at as you started yeah. this off, you didn't have yeah. the, the exact exact prototypical role to, you know, road to this path. And, and, uh, yeah, I made it happen. I'm really mm-hmm. proud of the fact that I did considering kind of where I came mm-hmm. from and, and I kind of forged my own path. So I'm, uh, I'm definitely proud of that for sure. Well, Patrick O'Neill, we love to have you on tennis channel inside and always a blast. We'll have to do this again too. And sure. I, I did want to save this for last because <laughs> I went and did research, had no idea because I loved the movie as a kid, but die hard too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, did you so see my part? Way, so I, you went and they totally did you dirty. I just you know. <laughs> I know, I know, just because I, I wasn't there yeah. for, with them in yeah. Grenada, yeah. Um, yeah. and the regular guy got appendicitis, <laughs> so Corporal Telford didn't last. It was a pretty good uh, plot twist at that I, moment. I love that movie. I've seen that scene a bunch, and then of yeah. course I'm like, no way, it's Patrick O'Neill. Yeah. Like, what are the odds? That's but, uh, that's yeah. a great part. If you get a chance, yeah. look up my Beverly Hills 90210 okay. role in the Gentle Art of Listening season one. Okay, because I still know all my lines. Okay, woo, we have to do car. a table read get in sometimes. The car, Bonnie. <laughs> Perfect, Patrick O'Neill. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Thanks a ton to both Zachary Cohen and Patrick O'Neill for being so generous with their time and appearing on Tennis Channel Inside In. A reminder that this podcast is a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, which you can find by going on the web to tennis.com slash podcast. And Inside In is on every one of your podcast platforms. Whether you listen on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, to name a few, you can go right to the platform, subscribe to the show, and each episode weekly automatically downloaded into your device into your phone you don't have to do a thing once you subscribe just tune in and listen tennis channel inside in returns next week with the canadian open in full effect the masters north of the u.s border a lot to break down there alcaraz the prohibitive favorite with no novak Djokovic in the field which woman will step up some heavy hitters returning after a couple weeks off post wimbledon who's going to claim the crown in the canadian open we will be discussing that as well as some other topics to dive into. Can't wait to talk to you all. My name is Mitch Michaels. Thanks again to Zachary Cohen and Patrick O'Neill. This was Tennis Channel Inside In, and we'll see you next week.